0: oh it's your responsibility to reach out and if you're not reaching out then you're not doing your part and it's like well actually we are reaching out but there's nothing there when we reach out so we stop
1: Huge thanks to everyone who has joined me here since we launched back in mid-2020, and everybody who listens. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted, and you can check the show notes for a link to leave us a recorded message. There is also some information in the show notes if you'd like to help us out, support us, and even ways to hire us. So whether you are a suicide attempt survivor or not, have a look at that. We may be able to collaborate. And of course, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests. So please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Christine. Christine lives in the Yukon, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hello, Christine. You live in the Yukon Territory, Canada, our neighbors to the north, who everybody says are so nice. All the Canadians, they're so nice. You know what? You're not that nice. We're we're polite. There's a difference
0: between being nice and polite.
1: There it is. That's what I deal with here (laughs) in the southern part of the U.S. Okay, good point. Now, on a map, where's the Yukon Territory?
0: It's right next to Alaska.
1: So you're way up. It's cold.
0: Most of the time.
1: I'm sure it's pretty.
0: It is beautiful. Um, it is technically, well, I guess fall now. So the leaves are changing right now.
1: Now, on this podcast, we're not talking about geography, usually. We are talking about the S-word. You know how it is with people. They don't really like to hear this conversation. So I'm wondering, what in the world compelled you to reach out and say, I will talk about this stuff?
0: I struggle with mental health for pretty much my entire life. And uh, in the last seven months, I did actually try to kill myself in January. And then basically for the like last six months, I've been quite suicidal. I almost had an incident a couple of weeks ago where a friend, I thought they were coming over the next day and they showed up in my house because we got the days mixed up. And basically because she came over, that's the only reason I didn't attempt it. Um, So, and I have actually been pretty open. I'm just an open person. And I've been in um, some jobs recently where I do support work, not currently, but in the last six months, I would say I've probably told maybe 10 people, the majority of people either just looked at me funny and changed the subject or like just got all awkward or didn't know what to say. Yeah. So I think like when I heard your podcast, I thought, okay, well, this is an experience I'm having that's negatively affecting my ability to, to get help. And then the shame I feel about like having this secret that's like all encompassing when it's all you think about every day, most of the day when all you're thinking about is how you don't want to be on this planet. And then you are trying to have uh, conversations with people like small talk. And it's like, well, how was your day? Well, didn't think of suicide for two minutes today. (laughs) So that was nice.
1: I'd love to hear that. How you doing? There was a couple minutes there where I didn't think about ending my life. And yourself? So you had said that when you told people, upwards of 10 people, most looked at you either awkwardly, or they didn't know what to say, or they changed the subject. Yeah. I mean, I'm not comparing you to anybody else in the world, but seems like that's a pretty standard thing, unfortunately. That's how people respond.
0: I even had a, a close friend or someone I thought was a close friend um say that to stop blaming them and got mad at me
1: what do you mean stop blaming them we were
0: talking about covid and social isolating and how i um that i had to see people because it's basically if i didn't i would kill myself and so it's really important and she was just like stop blaming me it's not my fault i I don't i don't really know how that came in it was probably her own issue but I was like, that's not what I need to hear when I'm trying to share something like this with someone. January
1: 2022, was that your only attempt?
0: Um, that's my my only serious attempt. Um, I've definitely thought about it before. Um, I've definitely gone to the hospital a lot of times, the emergency room in my life where I've had the thoughts. And whenever it gets to the point where I I think that I might actually do something, I usually go to the emergency room. But in that situation, I was on a plane. So
1: <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that situation. Oh, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. In your experience with going to the emergency rooms in various places in Western Canada, sounds like were those experiences by and large? Okay.
0: Um, they were until most recently. So after the attempt that i made a few days later i went to the hospital again as i said when i i'm in fear i did and i had a really traumatic experience up here and it's something i've heard from many people who've been in yeah. in, in the hospital particularly in the north and um, part of it is because a lack of resources and being so remote but i don't know there's only so much of that you can kind of use as an excuse
1: before i know right yeah <laughs> like stop enough already with this bullshit so that And so you're talking about, in the, in the you said the traumatic experience up there, that was the January 2022.
0: Yeah. And I probably will never go back to the emergency room after that.
1: All right. Let me ask you a few questions and then we can, with your permission, make our way towards the beginning of 2022. Sure. How old are you?
0: I will be 40 very shortly.
1: I just like to get background. You live alone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was going to school for seven years to get my bachelor's. So I was just renting a room. It's been a year since I graduated, so I am actually moving out to the housing market up here. It's just insane. Um, but I found a bachelor suite, and I can get a cat. So I am I'm I will be moving out shortly. But I have been living sort of renting a room, and then I also because I go to school, it's kind of like every in the, in the summers I I used to work for um, some seasonal work. So sometimes I I'd, I'd move out of town into a more remote, even more remote area. <laughs> and work seasonally. So I've kind of every six months for the last seven years, I pretty much move until now.
1: When you hear the word college, you're thinking more like 20s, maybe 30s, right? Yeah. I'm curious if you're open to sharing sort of what was life like 20s? Was that just a very different experience for you of the world? Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, I lived in Vancouver. It's I, I like, I don't know if you know anything about Canada, probably not, but it's a very expensive city. Um, Low wages, expensive. I was like renting half of an attic with a curtain on the door, working like pretty much 60 hours a week between multiple jobs for five years. I did try college a couple of times at different things. And basically because of mental health issues, I just ended up having, and like life circumstances, I ended up having to quit all the time. So when I did move to the Yukon, I started what I call my recovery Part of that is I always wanted a degree. Like I always just expected I would get one and I wanted to change a career path. So, and they have a a program here where you can do the full university degree, but at a small college. And so that really appealed to me. So I, yeah, when I was 32, I went back to college slash university and I finished that degree, a lot of work managing being in recovery.
1: Congrats on that. Really? What's the degree in?
0: Uh, Environmental science.
1: In the Yukon, hell yeah. I love it. Why did you go from Vancouver to the Yukon?
0: I love traveling and I always wanted to travel. And so I randomly found a job actually in more remote BC. Um, they gave me a week. I decided, okay, I'm picking up my life. I'm heading out. So went there for a couple months. Didn't work out. I uh, went to Banff, Alberta for a couple months. And Ooh. then I was trying to go to the East Coast, but I saw I was just applying random things on Craigslist. Back in the day when Craigslist was a thing and they were um, advertising for a position just as a cashier at a grocery store or a gas station at this very tiny village of 500 people in the Yukon. And I thought, well, okay, why not? And so I got that job. Yeah. And I thought I'd, you know, go up and travel a bit and then I kind of would come back. There's just way more opportunities up here and the, University up here seemed like a better fit for me rather than going to a big one down south where there's like 500 people in every class and not really a lot of support
1: and stuff. So Yukon U, here we go. Yeah, that's exactly actually what it's called. (laughs) Is it really? What's the mascot? It's got to be a moose.
0: Uh, It used to be a raven. I don't know if they've changed it.
1: A raven? Yeah. Of all the mascots, you're picking a raven for Yukon U? Someone should lose their job over that.
0: It possibly could be a crow, and it's actually a First Nation thing.
1: Oh, okay. um, now here. I'm the white guy, and I'm an asshole. <laughs> I know.
0: It's a very indigenous culture up here, so there's a lot of stuff that um, yeah. is sort of on
1: the local people. I hate when my white maleness is called out. Like that's, It's actually a native thing, you fucking idiot. Yep, okay, <laughs> not talking. All the while, when you're growing up, and you're doing all the things you just shared, and you said you had some mental health challenges are you ever thinking beyond a sort of in an existential way or a philosophical way about suicide?
0: Probably on and off for most of my life. I know when I was in grade seven, so I think I was like 11 or 12, I wrote this, I used to write poetry and I wrote this really depressing poem about my heart bleeding. And Mm -hmm. even then... I realized at the very end, I was like, if I don't make this positive, everyone's going to worry about me. So I made the like last stanza of the poem, like, and everything gets better. And I feel okay. But mm-hmm. that's not how I felt. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was bullied a lot when I was in al- elementary school, a lot of like, female, well, I mean, I'm technically um, non binary, but like, whatever, my body is female, I grew up with being treated like I'm female. It's different than not physical bullying, a lot of like, um, lies and gossip and, yeah, you know, laming stuff on me that I didn't do kind of thing. And I also grew up in a really rough part of town. Like when I was 12, my um, brother was at the park and he, there was some kids with guns or they said they had guns. And so he told my mom and she called the RCMP and then they threatened to kill me and my brother. Wow. And then it became like a whole thing at the school. Like it was fine. We were never like I never saw a gun out of the experience, but still to be like 12 and have your life threatened by other 12 year olds. Um, It's kind um, of (laughs) intense. Right. So recently in the last two years, and this will go back to my childhood, but I was diagnosed with ADHD. When I was like six years old, my mom brought me to the doctors because I had behavioral problems. And keep in mind, this is the nineties and I was female. And so they did a barrage of all kinds of tests, like physical, saw a psychiatrist, had like an allergy test, had some really long blood tests. And eventually they just came back with my parents' needed parenting classes. 38 years later, it turns out all the symptoms are ADHD. Now in the last like four months, I finally got on a medication that works for me. And like 90% of the symptoms are gone.
1: Does that piss you off?
0: It makes me very angry.
1: (laughs) Right. Because a lot of people would think, oh my God, you got the medication, you're feeling better. Great. But other people would also be thinking like us, well, you just fucked up three decades.
0: Pretty much. That's how I feel. Like I also had some like, uh, like impulse control issues. So addiction I've struggled with. Um, I had an eating disorder for most of my life, which had to do with binge eating and not being able to control my eating and then using. And like literally within four months, I stopped smoking pot, which is very legal in Canada. I didn't even try. It just Magically stopped. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, I haven't used it for like three weeks. And I used to smoke a lot. And I've been smoking cigarettes for like 20 years. And I also just stopped.
1: This is from one pill?
0: Literally, yes.
1: All right. I'm glad that you're able to at least some of the stuff is positive in that respect. Yeah. Despite getting properly diagnosed, which was earlier than January 2022
0: or no? Yeah, it must have been 2019 because it was like the November before COVID hit.
1: For two years, you're on this medication and it, there's a lot of positive things happening. Oh,
0: no, I took me, we try, it took me a year and a half to get the right medication. I've only been on it for like four months.
1: Okay. So the medication came after the attempt.
0: Yes, it did.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. What is happening in your life up in the Yukon? We're in the middle of COVID. We're moving towards 2022. Are there things <laughs> happening in your life, particularly upon reflection? You're like, shit was going south.
0: Well, I had, I would call it cumulative effects. Within four years, I had, I was dumped four times. I would say at least two of them were like fairly serious for like the short amount like there were seven or eight months like we all said I love you and vague talks about future and things yep. like that and so yep. it wasn't necessarily they were just like one after another so I never really had time to like grieve and process like the previous ones so when the last one happened it just hit me really hard
1: when was um,
0: that no was right before Christmas in 2020
1: I believe and it's cold as shit and dark as fuck out there yeah <laughs> It's my podcast. I can curse. I mean, I don't know if it makes for great listening, but I'll do what I want. <laughs> you're you're broken up with cumulative effects of that, and I imagine other things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: January twenty twenty two.
0: Well, it was really weird because I actually went on a really good trip to play sport that I'm into, and uh, I came. Well, I went to Hawaii, so it was wonderful. What sport? But uh, disc golf.
1: Oh really? You went to Hawaii for that? Yeah. <laughs> Are you like a world-class disc golfer?
0: No, I just really love it. And plus I love traveling. So it's right. fun, fun way to travel and yeah. it was really great. And then I was on the plane back and there was just like some stuff that happened with the airline attendance. And I started having a panic attack and I had my pills with me and I just looked at them and I was like, I don't know how much this is, but I don't want to be in this situation. So I either want to die or fall asleep. Whatever these do, I will just take them all. So I took them all. It did neither. It kept me awake and oh. I couldn't sleep and it was horrible because I had like 5 more hours left on this overnight flight.
1: How are you feeling by the time the plane lands?
0: I just wanted to get off the plane and my mom was meeting me to and my mom and I are really close. She's my best friend. So I didn't tell her right away what I had done. Um I just said I hadn't slept on the plane. I was really tired and Anyways, it was nice to see her. And that kind of like calmed me down a bit. And I got and they had to take another plane to go back up north. And so I took that. And I can't really remember exactly what happened. I think I went home and went to bed. And then I had to go to work the next day. Yeah, I tried to go to work. I don't know if it was the day after or a couple days after. And I found a way to get around. So if you Google how to kill yourself, it won't tell you. (laughs) It just gives you a bunch of crisis lines. I had a a counselor years ago who told me a story about someone she knew who had tried to jump off a building and ended up, a, it was unsuccessful and they were ended up a paraplegic and their life was like 10,000 Uh-oh. times more horrible. That kind of always is in the back of my head. And I, that's kind of my, one of the reasons I haven't done it before is because like, if I'm going to do it, I want it to be successful. Well, I don't, you want the suffering to be gone. You don't want to increase your suffering. So anyways, I, I found out how much of my medication I could take. And then I was, it was all I could think about. I was at work and I couldn't think about anything else. So I texted a friend and they said, go to the hospital. I left work and I went to the hospital. And then I admitted, tried to admit myself. You know, it takes a while to get in because they triage and if you're not like bleeding out your ears, you're not going to get in, which I understand Uh, But I finally got to see a doctor and I explained what had happened and that basically I had the means. I worked on a crisis line too. So I know like the whole idea of like, when you talk to people, you say like, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Do you have the means to do it? And are you going to do it? Do I need to call someone for you? So I told him all those things that I have the means to do it. If I go home, I will likely do it. He came back, like he would leave and come back. I think three or four times he asked me, Again, if I was actually going to kill myself, basically he was trying to not admit me. He was trying, like the last time, he said, "Like, are you sure you're not just upset and you can go talk to your friend?" And I said to them, "I don't think that I want to put the responsibility of my life on my friends or family." And that's when he finally admitted me. I basically had to fight to get admitted.
1: When you said that you didn't have to rely on a friend, the first thing I thought of was, particularly not that one friend who didn't want you to blame her. Yeah. You had been to ERs or hospitals in the past that were at least okay. This was not.
0: No. So it started by they took my phone away, which I kind of understand. They don't want you to do damage. I've definitely been upset and done some upset texting that I regret. I had an appointment with my counselor in a couple of days time. So I asked them, I told them and who, who she was and it asked if they could call her and, and let her know I won't be able to make it. So I slept in the emergency room that night. And then the next day they took all my stuff away and it was also COVID. So like you had to be in the gown and everything. And and then they brought me upstairs to a room and they were also medicating me. I was crying in the bed and someone came by and asked me if I wanted something. And I said, no, because I, I kind of feel like sometimes you just need to cry it out and then you'll fall asleep, like feeling emotions. I like mm-hmm. think it's okay. But I also, it's not like I was going to hurt myself. I was in the hospital <laughs> finally, after the second time they came and I just said, okay, they didn't tell me what it was. I'm sure it was like Ativan or something like that, but they kind of were giving me all these drugs and, um, (laughs) I didn't really know what they were. And then they took me up to the second floor and they put me in this room and I just assumed it was like the psych ward. Um, I found out later, like when I was let out of the hospital, like four days later that I was never in the psych ward. Um, They basically put me in this room. The Mm -hmm. only thing that they came in and did was three times a day. I got meals from like the health, whoever delivers meals, Mm -hmm. a nurse would come in and check on me, but only on my physical stuff. Mm -hmm. So I essentially left in the room alone without any contact to the outside world for three days. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually a doctor, I think after the second day came and saw me, but the psychiatrist still couldn't see me. So we waited, I think it was like the third day before a psychiatrist came in. Um, they spent 20 minutes with me, did their obvious, I mean, I've been seeing psychiatrists and whatnot for like my whole life. I, I know the spiel, they had like literally questions on a paper. They were going through and asking me 20 minutes, diagnosed me with cannabis use disorder and borderline personality disorder. It's only 20 minutes. Finally, they were like, okay, we're going to change your admitted status to, um, voluntary so I could leave. And so that was on the Friday. I think I went in on the Monday or the Tuesday and it was like Friday. And so they were like, okay, well, we're waiting for a report and we'll let you out. Then they like never came back and it had been like the two hours that they had said it was going to be. And finally a nurse came in and she was like, oh, so did you want, are you going to leave? When are you planning to leave? And I was like, I was waiting for you to come back and tell me I could And She's like, oh, you could have left like an hour ago.
1: All right. Those responsible for putting you in a room for 3 days with all the things you described. I have a word for those people. Can I share that word with you? Sure. Criminals. Yep. That's what you are. Period. That's it. If I had a co- if I had a podcast called the Criminal Podcast, I would interview them.
0: Unfortunately, my story is not uncommon from other people that I've heard. They've maybe not had the same situation, but very Right. various different flavors of the same situation and uh HITMA violations i don't know if you guys have that in states but it's basically the privacy health privacy um okay. laws that we have here which are quite strict phoning people's employers to ask about their behavior without the person's permission <laughs> stuff like that. like crazy stuff i don't even know what these people think they're doing
1: can you sue them
0: Probably. I did get a word. I did a a formal complaint, but I'm sure that's not going anywhere. I heard that because of nurses licensing, there's a board that regulates them here and that I could complain about the nurses and it would most likely not them. I guess there's like a duty to care kind of thing where that if they For example, them coming in and not addressing my mental health when that's why I was there was like a lack of duty to care. And if they weren't able to provide that care, they're required by law to tell someone and find someone else who can and it depends, like, jurisdictionally in Canada, it wouldn't be the same. In Our health is done, like, provi- like each province or territory is run differently, so.
1: We all know if you try to do something like that, it will probably be expensive. They'll make it a fucking nightmare. You're never going to follow through. I would never. So, yeah, it's a waste. They're an institution. They have power. You fuck, fuck it.
0: There's other ways around it, though. It's a small community up here, and um, shaming goes a long way. Public shaming, a good old public shaming. It's kind of funny, sure. but it's the weird cultural thing up here that because it's such a small community that uh, it,
1: people still do it and it works. That was January. Now we're in almost September. In that time, I know you got medication that has really helped your ADHD. And as you also said, though, in that time, for lack of a better word, pretty suicidal fairly often. And a few weeks ago, you almost tried. So I don't know, what's 2022 been like post hospital, post attempt? So
0: like another thing about me is I'm a very like type A personality um, and also part of the AHD. I like to be busy and do lots of stuff. And so for January till May, I was working seven days a week between two jobs. Other than the time I took off to go to that tournament. Um, also, I started a nonprofit organization um, and I'm the president of, um, I do have some awesome board members and some pe- a lot of people have been supportive, but the majority of the administrative financial stuff is on my shoulders what kind of nonprofit uh disc golf we promote diversity in disc golf in the north um, there's a lot of funding opportunities for different things and i have to have an administrative bureaucratic background and so i know how to get these things traditionally disc golf has been mostly middle-aged white males and and there's and there's a local organization that does a lot of amazing things and and we don't want to step on toes so we just focus on um particularly our demographics are our women uh lgbtq community um people of color and uh people with varying abilities amazing it was the thing that like became a coping mechanism for me like it really in a lot of ways saved my life just going out even by myself when i was upset i would just go for a disc and um, it was really helpful for me, and I just I want other people to be able to like have that opportunity. That you know, it maybe it's not going to be for everyone, but if it you oh, know, yeah. if it does save one person's life, you know, then that's good enough for me.
1: All right, so you got really busy doing things because you said you're type A, and that was one thing you did in 2022. Did you come close again in that time since then?
0: A couple of weeks ago, I put in a lot of work to bring some people up here for an event and i don't know why but i i have a weird thing about being left out it's a really big trigger and they came up here and they're hanging out with other people and and not me and i got all in my head and like i'm not going to blame them because there was a lot of shit going on and there was another trigger that someone posted about their ill treatment in the hospital as well more recently and It was just kind of like the comedy of errors and everything kind of aligned. And I just started deleting people off my Facebook and I I was on like four or five boards and I just started resigning from all of them. And I was basically like, I'm going to close up all my ties. I didn't even know. I just was like, I'll find some cleaner in my house and I'll drink it. I don't know what I have. I'm sure I have enough of something. Um, And then a friend came over It was a really good chat. It was like not one of the negative experiences I've had with some of the other people. You know, they shared some stuff about themselves and I shared about what I was going on and chatted a lot for quite a few hours. And that was just enough to sort of take me off the edge. Also my, I had a couple of events that weekend and I just got to this wall where I just couldn't pretend anymore. Like I kind of spent the last year pretending I was okay and putting on this happy face because I'm like the face of a nonprofit and I couldn't do it anymore. It was like my body was just done with pretending that I was okay.
1: Was that near attempt two or three weeks ago, about the same time you put suicide into Spotify or Apple?
0: Nope. Um, I found you guys.
1: Just to be clear, there's one guy.
0: One guy. It's not
1: plural. It's not plural. (laughs) It's a guy.
0: You know what it was? I got COVID and I got stuck in Vancouver. And I think that's when it was, or it was shortly before that. And it was more because I wanted... I wasn't actually looking to commit at the time. I wanted to hear other people's like experiences. So I, I did 12 step recovery, mostly for food addiction. But I know from years, I was in it for eight years. And the biggest thing I got out of it was being with other people that have similar issues and not feeling shame about the right. shit. Like, yeah. to, like, like that peer perspective. And like, I guess that's kind of what I was looking for. And then I found your podcast and I was like, Oh, this could be interesting. This looks kind of like what I'm looking for.
1: I'm glad you found it.
0: I think like the biggest thing. And I was talking to another friend that I I chatted in a good chat about this, this topic about often people, like the first thing they go to is you're okay. You know, we love you. You're great. And it's like, (laughs) no, I understand. I'm a great person. I don't want to be here anymore. And like, validation for me is a key and it's like a thin line because you don't want to say yeah go ahead do it but saying like sure you know what i understand how you could feel that way wow it sounds like you're going through a lot those words in themselves can like change people's lives for me anyways that's my experience and my big experience from like working on like the suicide hotline as well is that's kind of basically what we do we're trained to do
1: right i would add to that Because, you know, people will like learn that and then say those words, but they don't understand why it matters. It really helps to understand why those words matter. And then you don't have to use the exact phraseology. You can choose other words. the idea behind it of, for example, like meeting somebody where they are. That's a big thing. If you're telling me you want to end your life, I'm honoring that. I don't want you to do it. I'm not going to help you do it, but I'm here to talk to you. Or listen, and that's the starting point. You can't if that you can't start somewhere else when somebody just tells you they're thinking about it. That's got to be the starting point, I think. Yeah, I just fucking told you. You can't undo yeah. that. You can I don't think people who say, "Well, you're loved," or "I love," they're not necessarily saying otherwise, but they're not really being inviting into. Okay, let's 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 go there. It's
0: like crawling down in the hole with the person and just sitting there with them, as opposed to like trying to fix or solve the problem well
1: you're right what i've learned is that when people people get that the problem is most most of the time not always there's some kind of conversation happening right because i think people can understand just sit there with them they can get by the problem is when we start to have a conversation oh now i have to contribute to the conversation and then they start saying the shit that we hate so how, so the words and the intention behind the words is sort of another layer that I think some people get it, they do a great job, but it seems like a lot of people don't.
0: I think one thing people miss too, is like the shame and feeling that way. Cause it's suicide, like, you know, the whole <laughs> the idea of this podcast and stuff is such a taboo subject like myself anyways, like there's a lot of shame involved, even being able to like openly talk about it and be like, okay, so you're feeling this way. What's going on for you? It kind of gets rid of that shame for me and allows me to like connect with the person.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think people don't realize that they treat these conversations as sort of a possible means to an end Mm -hmm. or solution. And I always say, no, it's part of the end of the solution and and not meaning death. When you're listening and engaging with me in the way you are part of the fucking solution. Mm hmm. It's not just a means to some solution. You're part, literally, like the way you framed it here, you're helping me feel less shame. That's part of the answer. Yeah. Not a guarantee. You might end your life tomorrow. Be part of the answer. I wish people could embrace that a little more.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that frustrates me and I don't know how it is in, in elsewhere, but in Canada, we've gotten to the point where we're talking about mental health, but we're not really talking about it. We're talking about talk like it, the, the, the tagline is always like, let's talk or reach out or, you know, someone's post, everyone posts on their Facebook. If you're feeling depressed or having a hard time, reach out to me. But like the amount of people that post that and then you actually reach out to them and they don't know what to do. And it's really not right. their fault. Reach out, and then there's no help. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, thanks.
1: Hundred percent. Yes, no doubt about it.
0: It's also like putting the responsibility on the person who's suffering from the health issues, and but usually, like you know, as some people, not you know, some people say you're not. Everyone who's suicidal is um has mental health, but a lot of us do. Yeah. But it's like, oh, it's your responsibility to reach out, and if you're not reaching out, then you're not doing your part. And it's like, well, actually we're are reaching out, but there's nothing there when we reach out. So we stop.
1: I could not agree more. I think it's people usually talk what they and they also stop talking, right? But mm-hmm. like, there are people that never reach out. Sure. Oh, for sure. But there's a lot of people that do reach out, whether that's formally to a doctor or informally to a coworker, whatever. And they are they are shut down in myriad ways. And so they stop talking in my experience, in my conversations. And so I think, no, the emphasis should not necessarily be on the person to reach out. That's part of it. A bigger part for me is when someone reaches out to you, what do you do? Nobody teaches us this stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're not going to be very good at it probably, but it would be good to know that you're not. Have a little awareness. Mm -hmm. Imagine, Christine, if someone said to you in those moments, you know what? I want to be here for you. I don't know how to be, wouldn't that be a pretty cool starting point? Even if they didn't know how all the like they didn't, they weren't amazing interpersonal empathetic communicators, but they just started there. That's kind of, for me, that would feel pretty good.
0: Well, it's almost, they're almost making themselves vulnerable themselves. Yeah. So even by sharing that, it makes it better because you're in a vulnerable situation. So it kind of creates this equal vulnerability as opposed to this like well, I'm a normal person and you're this person with problems kind of thing.
1: Yeah, because I think when you're coming from the perspective of above, then you're more inclined to do the, well, here's the answer or here's the diagnosis or here, mm-hmm. let me let me share with you these platitudes or let me tell you about the world and my fucking amazing pontifications. It's like, I'm not asking for any of that shit. But if you're coming from like equal-ish, I think you're yeah. just less inclined to do that. It wouldn't make sense to do it.
0: I was doing a job as a support worker at a, the first supervised consumption site in the Yukon uh, for a bit. And that I did a lot of training on like social work and how to interact with people. And that's one big thing they talk about is like power. Like even as the person who worked at the center, they said, sit down, don't stand up if the other person's like shorter than you, or, which is an issue for me because I'm short. So, but, but if they're sitting down, sit down, meet, meet them at their level, even like your levels make a difference physically, not even just what your words say.
1: You ever hear of a town called Whitehorse? I sure did. Just checking if you really knew Yukon. <laughs> if I really knew Kyle. <laughs> How many people know that you're on a podcast talking to me about this?
0: The only person I've told officially is my
1: mom. All right. Mom's cool. So you're not going to do like a TikTok dancing video talking about the podcast? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll listen to your episode?
0: Um, yes. I'm going to be honest, but I, I like listening to myself talk. So
1: <laughs> yes, you are... <laughs> You are in the minority. That is not a question I've asked much, but for some reason it po- popped up recently and it just got me thinking because I learned of a few of the conversations I've had where they didn't listen. I was like, interesting. Okay. I get that. Okay.
0: Also, it could give me a different perspective on, you know, hearing yourself third party talking about this stuff rather than it being in your head. So it could be helpful in that way.
1: Right. It sounds like from what you shared, you do have some people in your life, including mother and some friends that you can have these difficult conversations with.
0: Yeah. And don't leave out my dad. He actually came up and stayed with me for a week after I was in the hospital. So he's also, I mean, I won't talk about him because this is his personal shit, but um,
1: yeah. When you were thinking about, when you attempted to end your life or ideating about it, did you think what happens after I die? Nope. Never thought about that. Didn't care. Done. Goodbye.
0: I just. Thought it was done. I was like, "It'll be done."
1: Do you wish it had worked?
0: No, I mean, I definitely not because I've done, I've accomplished some pretty big things with my nonprofit in the summer, um, and myself with this a lot of disc golf related stuff I've accomplished. I'm kind of in a weird transition space, so like, whether or not like I hope that it is successful in the future, I don't know. If I if I do try again, I'm not planning to at this point, but you know. It's been a big feature of my life for a while. So I wouldn't be surprised if the thoughts come up again.
1: Well, you just stole my next question. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, you know, I always ask, might you try again? Or is it a possibility? But you kind of answered it.
0: The medication combination I'm on right now, um, basically, if I miss it for any reason, even for one day, I just go from like, like I am now where I'm like, okay, and things are okay to like crying in my bed and wanting to drink bleach. So I, now that I'm aware of that, it does help a little bit, but it's still very difficult. To ha- like It's not like I'm planning not to take my medication, but shit should happen.
1: That's some pretty good awareness there too, because it's very easy not to be aware of like what happens when I don't take the meds. Yeah. I've had conversations, right? And I wonder about that. This conversation with the survivor is not happening unless they were probably treated well enough to have the conversation. So I got to find people or they have to find me at the right time. Mm-hmm. under the right conditions sometimes. Have you ever lost anybody to suicide?
0: Quite a few people. I know my first ever boyfriend, not while we were dating, but years later, he uh, posted a a really depressing note on Facebook and I saw it and I was like, okay, well, I haven't talked to him in a while, so whatever. And then the next day I went on his Facebook and there was all these RIP Jeff yeah, no, no, and he had done it. And then, yeah. And another guy I dated briefly had, had actually shot himself. Mm. um in the cabin and family friend of ours hung herself and wow apparently i've known quite a few people
1: yeah are there any myths around any of this stuff that you want to talk about or dispel
0: i mean the biggest one that i would say is like you don't know what someone's going through and like what internally is happening maybe a lot more than what is showing on the outside here's like one I always say and with the medical community it sucks but I'm a type a personality I'm not going to slowly go downhill once I start failing I will kill myself I will not let myself be homeless on the street and like destitute that's just who I am I have lots of support and that would like unlikely happen but I'm just saying like for me what the trigger is compared to some other people may be quite different. And I'm sure that's true for everyone else. So like maybe if someone's says they're suicidal, don't judge their life and think, Oh no, they're fine because they've got all these things.
1: Cause you don't know. Don't oh, know all the more reason to understand how to engage people in conversations. Like don't judge clearly. I don't even think people realize they're judging. They're so like, just, it's just their default. It's, but it's fucked up. I don't get, I don't understand people, Christine.
0: No, I I don't often either.
1: (laughs) What's one pro tip for disc golf. If you're getting started pro tip for a beginner,
0: just start with the basics. Use a putter when you first start for everything, it throws straighter. It's easier to use until you can throw far. Although a lot of men can throw far right away, but um, it's more forgiving. Than trying to a fancy, pretty driver that uh, your favorite disc golfer has signed or it's on their disc or whatever. Um, It'll probably be a lot more forgiving with the butter.
1: If I had one day to spend in Yukon territory, where where should I go?
0: The disc golf course, of course.
1: Here we go. (laughs) Like
0: you can't choose one place like any anywhere. You can literally walk five minutes out of town and there's a trail somewhere beautiful. So.
1: What else would you like to add before we bid each other adieu?
0: From what I've learned on the crisis line, if someone does say they're suicidal to check and see, like to check and see, do they have the means? Ask them if they're safe. You know, do they need help called? And if you want to go over this, if you talk to your local crisis line about it, I'm sure someone like if you want the information on like how to talk to people in this situation, I'm sure they will hook you up with training or give you some kind of advice in that way. Um, If it is something that someone wants to be able to, um, to be able to like talk to someone, if they are coming up with these, with these uh, problems.
1: We can hope for that for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking with me, being nice, being kind, being open, being all those things. I appreciate it. Others will certainly appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing. Uh, Good to hear other people's stories for sure.
1: One other thing I didn't add. I want to imagine. I would imagine big country, big area, rugged people, and it's the same in the U.S. in the West. In some ways, many ways, and there's a lot of people, especially men, who are struggling, and they, you know, they have guns, and they have pride, and they have macho ness, and they don't have a lot of friends. There's a lot of like problems that add up, and so they're in a sort of mental health crisis. A lot of people are trying. I imagine it's like that in the Yukon territory.
0: It's a really, it's a bizarre mix here. Like I said, we, we've got that that kind of crew, but then got a lot of First Nation culture that's also integrated into everybody's culture here. And then mm. there's a bunch of, I call us yippies because I'm kind of part of the, so we're like yuppie hippies. So hippies that have money because we all work for the government. So we make good dough, but we're still into like making our own kombucha and growing our own garden and Go going canoe trips and you know but every, the thing we all have in common up here it doesn't matter who is we all love the outdoors and we want to keep it beautiful so that we can do the things like whether it's hunting whether it's frolicking in the woods or just golfing that we can continue to do that outdoors
1: undoubtedly good for the mental health yes for sure go for a nice walk awesome be well Be safe, and I hope your days are at least decent.
0: Thank you very much. Have a good night.
1: Bye, Christine. Take care. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to Christine in the Yukon. Thank you, Christine. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Check the show notes for another way you can reach out by leaving us a recorded message. And there's also a handful of ways you can support the podcast. You can find all that information, again, in the show notes. However you participate or support, we really do appreciate it. So thank you. And that is all for episode number 135. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.